Hi, everybody. We are here with the Chicanx Coven. Michelle and I are super grateful and excited to present our special guest with you all today. And I will let her introduce herself in a second, but she, her name is Tanya, Tanya Alvarez. And she is someone who I was a freshman in college who I, I didn't meet, but I knew of. And from the moment that I saw you from a distance, I fell in love with your energy. Uh, you have such a positive and healing presence. And I was, I was drawn to you from the very first time that I met you when I was a machista. And I'm really grateful that you and I have had interactions with each other and, and we maintain contact. And I know Michelle has her experiences to, to say, but really we're just here super grateful, Tanya, that you're with us because um, I knew from the get-go when we were going to be talking about podcasts, I wanted to talk about, you know, trauma, mental health, and, and all of its capacities. And I knew I couldn't have those conversations without you. Oh, okay. That's a good thing and a bad thing, right? Yeah, but it, we need each other. All of us need each other during these times, especially. And if we're survivors of trauma, this doesn't make things easier. It, it, it makes it more challenging, but it's good that we can come together. Yes. yes. Whatever you're comfortable with introducing yourself, please do. Okay. <laughs> My name is Tanya Alvarez. I was born here in Tucson, Arizona. Um, uh, just a barrio girl from the South side and uh, I was raised Chicana and that's what I knew. And um, my dad was in the military, so I was also a military brat and I traveled a lot. Um, when I was 10 years old, we landed here. My dad retired here and I was able to finally kind of nurture those roots that I wasn't able to before because of all of our travels. And uh, now I'm a Nana and i love being a nana i have four grandchildren and uh, it's been a lot of fun i've been teaching them art and and uh whatever i know and uh i just love seeing them grow but i love being a part of the community my background is in behavioral health and in the arts and i take a lot of pride in our chicanisma not only because i was raised that way but because it's helped me to survive and it's helped me to also help other people learn about their culture and not forget their roots. What else can I say? <laughs> well, I love hearing that while well, you're a professional counselor and I love hearing that you're a brown beret. <laughs> yeah, it makes me so, cause I remember, I know like it's, it's part of like the nationalist movement, but I just remember taking the Chicano movement and learning about the Brown Braves. And then when I met you, I was like, oh my God, it was just like a fangirl moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was because of my kids. And that was only because, uh, you know, I knew about the Brown Berets, but uh, when, you know, when all the ethnic studies, the uh, banning of books, stuff was happening at TUSD, well, my kids were in TUSD, Tucson High at the time, and my son was, he's the oldest, he got kicked out of school because he was labeled a gangster, because he was hanging out with certain people, even though he wasn't. 
So my kids brought their friends and they're like, what do we do? Mom, I'm like, well, what, what have you guys been learning? Well, we could start our own group. We have Mecha, they joined Mecha, so that was good. But then they were like, well, we need to do something else. I was like, okay, well, so we reached out to the old school berets and califas that we knew and they said, Orale, we have some people in Tucson that are old school from the 60s and 70s. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? They're still alive? Que bueno. So they introduced us. We met up with them and they gave us their, their uh, blessing. And they love the kids and all their friends. And they said, well, let's get this started. We need the berets here. This is what the berets started for. And I was like, what an I'll be a mama beret. <laughs> I ended up joining. So I ended up just supporting them. But according to, like, you're right, Michelle, it was more patriarchal and nationalistic, still todavía. So, all of a sudden, I had to meet up with uh, Mero Meros from the Brown Berets from Califas in Texas and New Mexico, and I had to be an officer. And I was going to be one of the female, first female officers since a long time ago. There was some female officers already. Um, Gloria Arellanes, I believe, was from the 70s in, in Califas. But yeah, it has been a journey. And you know what? It really did help the kids to get organized because they were so disconnected from other groups and they didn't realize, and we weren't able to see, like we are now, you know, right? In retrospect, all the different groups that organized with different tactics and different organizing skills. The berets were more hands-on and other people did other things and, you know, we helped, hopefully we helped as much as we could. And we're still berets. We're just doing things a little different, kind of like gorilla status. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Cool. Um, so I don't think I've ever shared this with you, Tanya, but now's a perfect time for me to tell you that uh, I, I try to call you into my space spiritually um, as an educator quite frequently um, and I have a lot of respect for you as a Chicano woman and for the work that you do and then as an artist, uh, the healing work that you do and then as an artist and I know that, um, you know, the kind of work that I do, it, it, a lot of teachers may not view it this way but I consider it sacred work, you know, yes. we're, we're working with children and um, just acknowledging their, their complexities, but then acknowledging the pain and the beauty that exists within that. And I always wonder like how, and it's true. And I never said this to anybody, but I said like, how would Tanya, how would Tanya handle this situation? Um, what would Tanya do? WWTD. And I'm serious. Like I've had kids who, um, when I used to work at Pueblo High School, I did an art and writing intervention class, mm -hmm. and it was it was geared towards helping like those top twenty five students who were at risk of dropping out. Right, I, right. I wanted them, like give them to me. Yes. And, um, the conversations, and I and I never like had reached out to you because I I figured like I'm gonna try it on my own and and trial and error and, and lots of error. But in that space, like I learned so much about myself and how I'm still on the journey of healing. And I just got to tell you, like, thank you for 
indirectly being that role model for me um, and someone who I call upon all the time, especially when I'm having conversations about the importance of art and healing. I, I have heard that and I have heard you and felt too. So, so that's reciprocated because, uh, you know, Tiffany, when I paint, it's an act of spiritual, it's a spiritual act to me, it's sacred. But when I paint and the women that I paint, I think of it as embodying all of us, all the good, all the bad, all the strengths, just collectively. And sometimes when I'm painting, I paint women that look like you, like Michelle, like people around me. So I think all of us have that ability to channel each other and channel each other's strengths because we are so connected we really are more than we know so i'm glad you're doing that and yes the things that i have learned have been i've been taught by other women strong women women that are no longer here on this earth and bless them and and i still feel their presence today um they've struggled a lot our grandmothers you know channeling our ancestors energy so yes, I'm glad you're doing that. And you are a warrior. When you're working with other students, you know, it's hard because we feel their pains, right? And we feel their struggles. And sometimes it feels like their lives are in our hands and we can't do it alone. We need to be able to reach out to others. And I know I haven't been able to do it alone. So you're not alone. And please continue to reach out. And I do hear. Oh, and I, do. Uh, I love that. Um, there, there was a point in my life where I couldn't speak about my pain, so I painted it. I'm not the best painter, but I can definitely tell you that it's been very healing to me. And I'm, I'm curious if you're interested in sharing with us um, anything, like a story that you have where, you know, you learned about yourself in the process of working with someone else. So like you were helping someone else on their healing journey and through that you learned about yourself. There's a lot of, oh, I've, um, you know, since I was little, I was that weird little kid or this chair moved, and uh, that would light candles in her room, that would, and my mom and dad, were, you know, and my brother, especially my older brother, like, hi, oh, what's Tanya doing? Oh, she's so weird, she's quiet, and she's always staring at everything. No, I've, I've always been an observer. And um, what I've learned is that through my own pain, and through sharing it, and privately just painting, all these paintings, there was a time I had so many paintings. It came from anger that I was holding in a lot. And I would paint mean women, women that looked like the Yorona. <laughs> Remember, I was a quiet kid, very compliant and complacent. I grew up with those types of parents. They were more third generation Mexican American, pero todavía tenían, you know, the, the, the mindset, that uh, patriarchal mindset, Mexicanos también, and uh, so I would hold in a lot. So anyways, I went through a lot of struggles. I poured that out in my paintings in my 20s. I had three children at the time, a single mom. And then somebody from the domestic violence, Brewster Center, 
because I was a survivor, survivor of domestic violence. Um, I was married to somebody that was a third degree black belt and he would literally torture me. And um, so I had a lot of that energy that uh, I thought I had healed from, from going to my own therapist. But one time this lady from the Brewster Center said, Tanya, can we put your paintings on display? You know, I had never shared them with anybody except for this lady, because she was kind of like my therapist. She was like a social worker at the Brewster Center. Morena Howard. Caballero, and even Regina Romero, all of them are part of the Adelitas, right? We were like the beginning Adelitas. I think this was in the freaking, I want to say late 90s, early 2000s. They were going to have the vagina monologues by Eve Ensler in Spanish for the first time at El Rio, right? No, El Pueblo, El Pueblo Center. So I said, orale, I'll put out my paintings. That's fine. And I was like, what are they going to think about me? And I was like, um, okay, I'll have this little show. Oh my God, hundreds of people showed up. And they lined up my paintings where the people lined up to go in. And then people had posters of one of my paintings. And they started asking me to sign their posters. And I was like, really sign? You know, this, I'm just another woman, another woman that painted something and just happens to have her image on a poster. But a lot of women started telling me their stories, the stories of them surviving a lot of trauma, sexual abuse, domestic violence, and they resonated with my paintings. And what I found out is that a lot of us have been taught not to be angry, that we need to control ourselves, be well-behaved, right? And then what I learned about myself was, why can't I be angry? Why can't I harness that energy, that, that dark energy that sometimes can help us to do the things we need to do to protect ourselves, to protect our children, to protect our community? So that's one of the events that really helped me and humbled me. And I realized, you know what? We need to share more of our stories. I know I'm not the only woman that survived. Um, I have a, a best friend. I have two best friends that were killed. My first best friend was in a, elementary school when we first moved here to Tucson again after my dad retired she was killed by a drunk driver and then I had a second best friend and she as an adult she was murdered by her husband and it, and I don't want to go into detail because I don't want to traumatize anybody it was really awful I mean, her name was Maria Velasquez McCormick um, so she's in my paintings a lot so I always believe that she always shows me and brings me strength, strength and reminds me, Tambien, you know, Tanya, reach out. Reach out to other women, share your story, even if it's not easy. But yeah, that anger is something we shouldn't be afraid of. We should harness it, not let it destroy us, not let it destroy others. That's one of my stories.
Thank you for sharing that. And you know, it's not easy being vulnerable and then being vulnerable on a, a digital platform is also really, it's really hard. So I do, I do thank you very much for sharing that. Um, I wanted to share something with you and with all of the listeners. Um, and again, I, I don't have to go into details, but I will say that, you know, the intergenerational trauma is real. So I was raised with my mom's and my nana's trauma and then um, growing up experiencing my own and as a young adult i experienced you know assault that had pretty much left me broken and i'm surprised like i look back on it Tanya, and i i can't believe i'm here still and it had it not been for knowing that i was pregnant with my son i don't know if i would have been here and that's just the honest to god truth like i'm being really transparent with you and with all the listeners, and um, I know that I, I do remember there was times, and in fact, I can do recall conversations with Michelle and with you, and I know I just reached out to you quickly and just, and just like wanted to hear you respond back to me, and, and those words are what I needed, and Michelle's words were what I needed, and, and um, I knew you painted, and that's when I started to pick up painting, like, even so, you know, and, um, but the point that I'm trying to make is that um how scary it is to be in those spaces and 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 then uh, in that moment and and even now so you know that happened in 2013 and our 20 yeah 2013 it happened 2013 and even now mm -hmm. i still find myself around that time of the year feeling those feelings and oh. uh, i'm angry and i'm this and i'm that and i'm and and it scares me. It scares me to feel that way. And, and then I notice that I take it out on, and I don't mean to, I do take it out on those around me. Um, and, but I will say this, like I, I allow myself to feel it and I get into that feeling and then I can, I can say like, I can move past it. Yeah. But I don't lie to myself, you know, like I let myself feel that way. And, and it's a really scary place because I feel like, oh my God, I'm going to go down that hole of I'm going to be where I was years ago. But then I think about it, I'm like, no, like I, I survived it and I have a strong support system and I, I'm allowed to feel this way. So I love that you said that, like to just harness it. And it's a constant healing, right? It's constant and it's intergenerational. Like you said, um, my daughters always remind me and they, they always like, correct me too when I'm wrong because I know sometimes it comes out but um and it's hard sometimes to forgive we don't have to forgive anybody so for for some of us it helps us to move on for example our moms and our abuelas that sometimes accidentally passed on that trauma that's something that my children right now as adults are dealing with and especially my son right now is very vulnerable right now and his emotions for some reason when he hit his mid-20s he remembered all of these events of um, seeing his mom get beat up or a gun to her head or crying or hearing he would say i remember hearing you behind the door screaming, mom, and I couldn't do anything, and I was there. And, um, and so my son is dealing with that right now. And it's been a struggle. And that's sometimes 
we have to rely on other people to help us. And that's something that I've learned too, is I cannot 100% help my son. I need the men in our community also to step in and help. And I need to talk to my mom, but I realize my mom might not change. My mom, you know, grew up on the border. So her personalities and her survival instincts are both modern and both very traditional. So she's very conflicted. And they say, you know, in psychology, when you have two conflicting values, that is uh, ingredients for a crisis. So you can imagine a lot of our mothers who grew up on the border, Mexican and American or whatever, you know, culture, they have a lot of times those conflicting values that we grow up with. And a lot of those have hurt us. It, it hurt me a lot. So my mom is learning. I've learned to forgive her. Move this. And um, I love her. <laughs> Pero I've set really strong boundaries with her because sometimes those uh, toxic things still come out. And when, uh, when I go to my mom and dad's, I'm that nine-year-old again, or eight-year-old that they treat, you know, and, you know, or uh, can we cuss on here or no? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if you had a tough uh, mama like mine, Mexicana, Chicana, you know, that was my mom. She was up. But man, those things stick in our head. And I'm like, yes. right, Michelle? Yeah, yeah, I think harsh parenting um, is very, so my, my parents, um, I love them to death. And I've, I've like you said, I've forgiven and, and I love my parents, but I think you're right. Like they were of the school of thought that my mom, not my dad, but like, as long as I give you all of your basic needs and I don't physically beat you, you know, I can say things and without repercussion. And it's so, it's so, you know, it scars you those words. I mean, even now in my thirties, it's like those words hurt, you know? Okay, yes. Um, yeah. And we're so little too and impressionable. And I'm sure you thought, you know, why? Why is she calling me that? I don't even know what a puta is. <laughs> you know, what's that? <laughs> you know, you know, but you grow up with these in your mind. And then uh, as we get older, we have to come to terms with those. It's like, why? You know, and are we really those? And uh and you know what? I've learned to embrace those things and my sexuality as I'm ahead and say, Orale, you know what? I am a sexual woman. That's right, mom. It's called whatever you want to. And, uh, pero it's come with a lot of rebellion. I guess you can say it's rebelliousness. And I've had to learn to balance that with respecting my mom and understanding that they only taught us what they knew, right? They only did what they knew and whatever they were taught. And then trying to also um, not fall into those 
you know, when they called us those names, not fit into those things, not, not surrender to those things. And to understand that those are probably seeds that were planted in their mind. And we need to break those intergenerational patterns and toxicity. And that's something, you know, with our kids and our little nieces and nephews, that it is our responsibility to nurture the good things in them because they might be hearing these things too, you know, by somebody else who's been hurt, like our parents. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And, um, Sonia, how do you, I love that we're talking about healing. I love that because um, I, I feel like sometimes um, things lean on more on trauma, but I love that we're talking about healing from trauma. And I was just wondering, how do you deal with that, with being an empath and a counselor, but still protecting yourself? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been easy. I do a lot of my own protection ceremonia. And these are ceremonias that I've learned from my tias, my grandmothers, uh, you know, because as Chicanas, we don't, we no longer have our tribes. We're the people with the lost tribes. So, you know, our ceremonias from our great, great grandmothers that were native, we didn't have that luxury or privilege to learn those. So the ceremonias that I've learned have been from my tias and my grandma, but a lot of protection, a lot of meditation, and a lot of learning from behavioral health, going to school, learning about psychology, that helps a lot too, but not always, right? The medical model doesn't always help by our people. So about four or five years ago, I put my license on hold because I realized as a behavioral health professional, I was helping people in an office on the corner that already had a lot of privileges, right? And um, so I also learned that our people were not getting the help they needed, the mujeres, the Chicanas, the Mexicanas, Native Americans, the, the Black people, you know, African Americans. This wasn't helping them you know, the medical model where I was sitting up there in an office and I realized a lot of our history and a lot of our culture should be integrated more for our people. And a lot of um, curanderisma, for example, the things we've been taught, a lot of our mujeres and people use. So I stepped back, I put my license on hold and I, uh, I started just, integrating myself back into the community. But it hasn't been easy. And a few things that I do know and I have learned is we're grieving. It's like we're going through this big grieving process in our community. And some people are at the first stage of grieving. Some people are in the sadness stage. Some people are in the anger stage. Some people are already in the, okay, I'm ready to forgive and move on. I might not forget. And what I've learned is to do things with love, no matter what I say or what I do, make sure it comes from a place of love and take responsibility for what I say. And I also have to understand that if I'm gonna give consejos to somebody, it might not be my place. Maybe they're not ready. 
So I use my gut intuition. And sometimes I just, you know, if this person is angry and they are in that stage, there's nothing I could do right now to change their mind. And sometimes I'd rather see a person who's a survivor be angry than to be depressed. And let me tell you why, because it's so powerful. It could help them to do the things they want to do. It could help them set boundaries. It helps them to survive. It helps them to protect others. Because you know the opposite of anger is depression, Rilla. And most of us, you know, we learn just to be depressed. So now I'm like, okay, no, we have to teach each other to be angry. But you know what, don't take it personal. So learning not to take it personal. Although sometimes I have. <laughs> I'm like, Chingo, you know, I really love this person and I can't believe she's saying these things. And I love her so much like my daughter, but why does she think this and this and that and that? And then I have to step back and say, oh, okay, she's, she's not ready yet. She's at that stage and it's okay for her to be angry. Let her be angry. And then when she's ready to move on, then hopefully, you know, she, when she's ready to talk, I'll be here. But a lot of setting boundaries, healthy boundaries, and not taking things personal, and using my own ceremonia and cleansing, baths. I don't know, this uh, taking baths thing is really nice, you know, with oils. You don't have to do it, but whatever. The coping skill is talking about this yeah i did I, I went i hiked last night and then i went i came back and um i took a bath with bath salts and i had already put essential oils and then i took a bath and i read this uh ceremony in a book called uh light magic for dark times mm -hmm. by Basile. and so she talks about a, a grieving ceremony and you use a black stone um forget the name of it, um, but I smudged myself with sage that Tiffany gave me, and then I took the bath, and then you use, you put a candle, and you use the stone, and you put the stone on the rim of your bath, and you just kind of flow in the water, and you just kind of release, yeah, it just helps you release, and then you cleanse yourself, and you cleanse the stone, and you leave it, you know, to, if you work with stones, you, you don't have to, but you let it, you know, you clean it and you let it recharge overnight. And, you know, exactly what you're saying. It's so healing. How did you feel after that? Did... I think it was just like, I felt like, tired. Uh, okay. Yeah, like I released like a good tired, you know. You released a lot then. Yeah. Yeah, they say we release it through... Um through sweating, right, through tears, through um, talking about it, through our breath. So yeah, no, that's good. That's a good coping skill because it's hard being a helper. It really is. Uh, and then we have to deal with secondary trauma too. Even the teachers, the teachers, you're listening to a lot. You're trying to help a lot. The counselors are. So we have to be careful not to absorb a lot of not just energy, but the secondary trauma that might be triggering us. And then if we are already survivors of trauma, on top of that, our bodies remember, remember that trauma so we could accidentally be triggered. And that's something that happened to me four years ago. 
as a helper, as a counselor. I was uh, attacked in my office, not by a client, by a coworker. And here I am, all chingona, verdad? I think oh, I'm a good counselor. I'm chicana chingona. I can deal with this shit. And, you know, kicked him out. And, and it turns out this dude that attacked me four years ago, 2004. Oh, no, it's been almost six years now um, that I put my license on hold for this. And what happened is my body started getting sick. I'm breaking down. I started getting nosebleeds. And then I started fainting. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I went to the doctor and they said, something's happening to your body. Your heart won't stop beating over 100 beats per minute, even at a relaxed state. And so I go back to my therapist, right? Because you always need to have a therapist that has a therapist, right? <laughs> and she's wonderful. I love her. And she reminded me, she was like, do you realize that even us as helpers, no matter how strong, no matter how intelligent we are, our bodies remember that trauma. Even if the trauma you went through was 20 years ago, which mine was at the time 16 years of peaceful life and going to counseling and becoming a professional mental health counselor. And all of a sudden, all it took was this guy to attack me and that but my body remembered all this trauma. And I felt so vulnerable and so just like what happened I'm doing everything I was supposed to be doing I worked so hard so taking time stepping back to take care of me is what it took healing 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 going back to my great-grandmother's you know yerbas again even though the doctors have a lot of good um they have medicines too. If we need medicines, we take medicines, right? If it helps. And I think at the time I did for a short while. And then after that, I was a little bit better two years later. And now I'm here and I'm doing a lot of things I love, but with a disability. So it's like, all right, Tanya, now we have to improvise and modify and adapt your life and your goals and how are you going to protect yourself now so i have a new role in in my community it might not be as action oriented as it was before but this is who i am now is I, oh, I can enjoy my artwork i can run a gallery i can be there for my community when they need me but I just probably won't be in the office in public anymore, you know, just for anybody. I'm very selective. So when we're being empaths, we do have to be very, very selective of who we let into our lives. Um, I wanted to share with you, cause you just reminded me of something that happened to me this past week. What happened? I had, um, you know, it's only been the third week of school. Uh -huh. And I had to give, I had to do a mandatory report. And it's interesting to me because one, we're on school online, right? Mm -hmm. And we were, we're studying the Tezcalipocas and I had them practicing, reflecting through the Tezcalipocas. So mm -hmm. talking about 
you know, we sleep watchly and Quetzalcoatl and Xipetotec and I had a student who completely had opened up to me on her on her reflections, and of course I had to I had to report it and and um, it had to do with sexual trauma mm-hmm. and very specific and I was like I'm reading it Tanya and um, oddly enough the date that it happened was the date that mine had happened. Wow. So kind of like just hit me really hard. Uh-huh. Um, I felt paranoid. I got sick to my stomach. I started to feel really anxious. And I was sitting at my desk, Daniel, and, and my legs were like trembling. Wow. And, I, and then granted, like, we're, you know, I'm on campus because I got to go, I got the choice to go ch- work on, on campus or stay home. And I decided that day I'm going to go to campus. And I couldn't get a hold of my superior because he wasn't on campus. So I'm like, you know, I'm freaking out. But I, got, I found myself going into panic mode. And, and let me tell you, like, after my assault for the first nine months, I was in panic mode all the time. I was teaching in panic mode. I don't wow. even know how I remained calm, honestly. Like, I look back on it, and I finally had a, I had a moment where I was teaching, and the room was spinning, and I fell on the floor. Like, that's how I finally had a breaking point after nine months of hiding it. Mm-hmm. And all of it'll that. Come. It'll weird. Yeah. And this year felt like my first year teaching all over again because we're online. Mm-hmm. I'm by myself in my classroom. I'm reading her reflection. I see the date and the symptoms I felt that day that I had fallen in my room was the same thing that happened to me. And it was just, it was hard. And then the guilt came in because I can't talk to her because we're on social distance terms. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just weird. But the point that I'm trying to make is like, damn, you're so right. Your body remembers. And granted, I didn't feel anything beyond just reading what I saw but man that memory connected to the body and that was it what did you do to like calm yourself down because there's there's ways to do it Mm -hmm. but everybody has a different way and I'll share with you what I do but all I did that day and I I don't wear makeup often and that day I wear makeup I sobbed and sobbed and I went home with the most massive headache that I could possibly have. Mm-hmm. Um, my eyes were black, you know, everything was just, stre- and I let it, I, I had it stay streaky. In fact, I had a class afterwards mm-hmm. and I kind of like look back and then I laugh, but I know everything was just smeared on me and the kids never said anything to me. So maybe they're just like, oh, she's having a bad day, but cool. You know, oh. and it's fine. I'm glad they didn't ask because I, <laughs> I wasn't ready to have that conversation. But oddly enough, I did cry a lot, but I've been having like anxiety since then. So yeah i i think i dealt with it but i it's still sitting with me so they say that our our trauma Mm -hmm. this is what i've been taught our trauma is like somebody being a dump truck right they have their trauma and then they come and they dump their trauma on us and all of a sudden we're owning something that doesn't belong to us and hurts us and then our body and our mind are like, what is this, right? We need to get rid of it. It doesn't belong here. So they also say that our trauma, depending how old we are, we kind of go back to that age. So let's say 
My first trauma happened when I was seven. So I know that when something traumatic happens to me or I'm triggered, sometimes I regress to a little seven, eight-year-old. Now I know that. Now I realize that because I was like, what are, I'm talking like a little kid right now. And I didn't know that before. And I felt very scared and very, and what I've learned to do, and it's different for anybody, but I channel those women in my life, like you did, Tiffany. I know you do this too. And I know Michelle does too. The different people in her life, whether they're here on earth or not, and you ask, you know, what do I do right now? I need this help. I need to feel comfort. And you nurture yourself. You nurture that little girl. You tell, you talk to yourself like if you're that parent to yourself. Do you, do you know what I mean? It sounds kind of strange. Okay, so, so, I'd be like, Tiffany, it's okay. You're in a safe place now. You're a strong teacher. You're a strong mom. And sometimes these things are going to happen to you. You're, you're an adult now, and you know how to protect yourself, and you know that you could protect this student. So do not let this trauma scare you. So talking to yourself like this over and over again, so a lot of positive self-talk, a lot of reparenting yourself sometimes will help. Talking to, um, talking to yourself like that. I do that all the time, Tanya. And so it's funny because I didn't realize that. And one time I talked to my husband about it and I made the connection because I was parentalized at a very young age. I suffered my first trauma when I was five years old and I had to step in to be like the co-parent of my mom. So instead of me being a child, she would consult with me about my well-being and my, and what, what were we gonna do now? Because our life got kind of torn apart and the floor, you know, got pulled from, the rug got pulled from underneath us. So when I noticed that something goes wrong in my husband's day or one of my dogs isn't feeling well um i start to talk to them like they're babies and i do that to my husband and i'm like everything's gonna be all right everything's gonna be all right everything and i realize and he always like makes fun of me because he's like there you go i'm you know talking to me like i'm your baby but i noticed that it was because that's what i wanted i yeah. wanted someone to tell me that things were going to be okay that i could mm -hmm. It was basically, I went into fight or flight at a very young age. And so I know fight or flight very well. I can, I can go into fight or flight at any moment, but I realized in how I love others that I like to nurture their inner child a lot and comfort them and soothe them. And so now I try to do things like last night where I do ceremony or hiking or a bath or do things for my inner child that make me feel good. good. Yeah. I noticed I, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I've never said this out loud, but I made that connection once. Are you still there? Okay, I could see. Oh, you know what I want to tell you, Michelle, is play. Play, don't forget to play and know that everybody's going to be okay. And yes, I know we feel like we need to take care of everybody sometimes. And, and it, I, you're definitely an empath because yes, you do. The way you respond, you're very nurturing too. But I would encourage you to play more and don't worry so much. And 
a lot of uh, art therapy, play therapy with your inner child, ¿verdad? And it's okay. It's not being irresponsible. Our children need to see us play and, and you know, have fun with the simple things in life. And um, yes, I could feel that. I totally resonate with that too. Yeah, and I, I feel sometimes irresponsible because I do, I chase that joy. Like you notice our, our, our coven, we do a lot of uh, hashtag Chica Next Joy. I feel like we downplay how important it is for us as a people to reconnect with our joy because we, for so long, we talk so much about fighting and the struggle and we don't talk about, you know, like my husband and I, we, we don't have children right now, but we've always planned on having biological children and we, we just became licensed for foster care and adoption. And we thank you. And we always talk about modeling joy and thriving for them, not just survival, you know? <laughs> oh, good, good. Playing and doing those things. That's something that my dad taught me. Um, you know, since I was little, I love anything magical. And it's never stopped for me. And I think that was such a saving grace that my dad taught me, even as a military guy, this Chicano, he was a down Chicano, but playing magic, fantasizing about, you know, fairies and this and that, that is something that I've never let escape from my life, no matter how serious life gets. And yeah, when, in those times of, uh, despair and times like now there's so much sadness in the world already we need to be able to play and be kind to each other and have compassion for ourselves and for others and yes there's a lot of serious things happening there's a lot of people hurt right now and it might get even worse so we definitely need to bring our circles together not forget those that magic that we had when we were little kids having fun not let go of that and we need to continue to teach our kids and our students and our loved ones and to forgive ourselves you know we're not perfect we hurt too yeah, yeah. i need to work on that i definitely am the serious one as the parent uh, and again that's me that's me in my survival mode. That's me emulating my, and I'm not disrespecting my mother. I love her dearly, but it's me emulating my mother who also emulated her mother because of, you know, just the responsibilities that fall back on women and the emotional yeah. responsibilities. Right. And, and, right. and so I, I do need to get better at that. I do appreciate you sharing that with us. It, it, um, it makes me want to go home to my kids and just go play. <laughs> I believe it's called Woman Who Runs with the Wolves by Clarissa Pincola Estes. Yeah, what? she wrote the, the, the preface to Women Who Glow in the Dark. Aww. And she bought me Women Who Glow in the Dark. So full circle. I haven't read it though. Wow, synchronicity. <laughs> I know, I have it there. I'll, I'll pull it for her. So, because we're in my office right now. Go okay. ahead. What is Maybe. it about? 
can read something from there because, oh, I love this book. I know you'll like it too, Tiffany. It talks about our wild side as women, as mujeres, how, okay, yes, we're taught to be this and that and that and this, pero también we have this wild side we shouldn't ever forget. We need to let our hair down and be messy and just dance and be wild together. Okay, here she comes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that book. And of course, Woman Who Glows in the Dark, too, is a really good one. Oh, I have to reread it. I bought it a long time ago because uh, Vanessa Gallego, who's uh, mm -hmm. my friend in Consuelo. Oh, yeah. Madre, yeah. She's a total bruja, too. So, yeah. Um, posted a lot about Women Who Run with Wolves. And then I just ordered it and bought it. But it's been a long time. So, I have to revisit it. Yeah, but um, so cool. I know. Yeah, like, it. it also includes, like, you know, Jung, Carl Jung's theories, and and um, Joseph Campbell, and evolutionary psychology, where science meets metaphysical and spiritual worlds. And I, a lot of times, I feel like as Chicanas, our, our lives are blended like that a lot, you know, where science, you know, mixes with with all the, our spirituality, it's embedded in us. It's in our genes, right? And yeah. we're in the Southwest. So imagine what happens when those genes are physical selves, you know, barefoot on the ground. We're feeling that energy firsthand. And sometimes we just need to go with it and just close our eyes and, and ask our ancestors, where do I go from here? What's gonna help me? What can I do right now? And be wild. Tanya, I gotta just tell you a story. Uh, when I was working at Changemaker, I don't know if you remember, I actually worked, I worked there for like a year. Um, you had stopped by the school because you had lived, you know, a couple blocks south. Uh-huh. And I remember you came into my classroom and I was just so in awe of you because you were barefooted and you walked <laughs> from your house to the school and you're walking around barefooted. I'm just like, oh my gosh. And not because I felt like offended by it. I was just like, that is so badass that I wanted to take off my shoes and be barefooted on the concrete. Just how cool. Like, I love, I love it. And that, it, it just stays. That memory just stays with me. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we could feel that energy. But yeah, when you get a chance, read it. Read I it. Really perfect. Really perfect for the coven. And she gifted me Women Who Glow in the Dark, which I'm reading right now. And so it's a oh. connection. Yeah. For all the listeners, the book is Women Who Run with the Wolves by Clarissa Pincola Estes. Yes. Maybe we could read something out of it. Is there like a, a little... Yeah, there's so many veins in there, though. It, it's it's just a book when you have a chance, you have some downtime. It really validates us as women. And forward, would you like me to read it? Yeah, yeah. So it says, "We are filled with longing for the wild." There are a few culturally sanctioned antidotes for this yearning. We were taught to feel shame for such a desire. We grew our hair long and used it to hide our feelings but the shadow of the wild woman still lurks behind us during our days and into our nights. No matter where we are, the shadow that trots behind us is definitely four-footed. Andale, yes! <laughs> we have a series, it's funny because even though we're on, on a digital platform, 
there's a connection here, yeah. right? Like I feel that energy between us four here. So that's Thanks. amazing. I love that. What are you reading right now, Tanya? We ask all of our guests that. What am I reading right now? You know, or doing as a ceremony. I, it doesn't have to be reading. It could be an album, a CD, whatever. Well, I was looking through all my paperwork. It's it's funny you ask because I lost my tax ID and I was like looking for it and I found my nana's recipe for tamales. Oh my gosh. Oh. I read so I've been reading that. And what else am I reading? Um, I'm just reading through a lot of different uh, proposals that I had, art proposals, and throughout Tucson. And I was getting mad. I was like, man, they never accepted me for that proposal, for that <laughs> miracle, or that. <laughs> and then, uh, you know what? I came across uh, Sarco Guerrero's uh, point of view. It's within that book called Cada Cabeza es un Mundo. Have you read that? It's a curriculum. Okay. okay. So I don't even think it exists anymore, though. Oh, my battery is going no. Okay. Okay. Um, pero it's the Chicano artist point of view. Do you want me to read it? It's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 14 lines. Look. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. I love this. It talks about. Well, us as Chicanos and Chicanas, we are those whose hearts hunger and whose souls sing out the desperate need for an effective art of the people. Art as inspired by hope and sensitivity whose message gives itself to the struggle of mankind to gain respect for the earth and humanization. Art as a means to create compassion and stimulate a collective expression of liberation with our lives. Art as an act to educate the masses of abused and oppressed to experience dignity, fulfillment, and pride. Art as self-sacrifice, a commitment to nurture a social consciousness that ceases to exploit, ravage, and victimize. Art as revolutionary armament that protests poverty, racism, and pollution. Art as the determination to overcome apathy and injustice. Art as spiritual ceremony and celebration by Sarco Guerrero. Wow. I love that and, and I was reading it because it reminds me art heals. So that's part of that play right and healing through play through theater and um, spiritual therapy so yeah that's another way to help our trauma to heal our trauma get rid of those intergenerational chains that hold us down we have to be strong we have to be brave we have to be ready for people to not like us sometimes because they don't like us when we stand up for ourselves and we break those chains that keep them in power a lot of times and keep us oppressed so as a mujer Chicana, if you piss somebody off, be proud of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Ooh, I'm going to caption gonna, that. We're going <laughs> to quote that. And thank okay. you so much, Tanya. Yeah, thank you, Tanya. We are so, I feel, I'm really happy. I feel complete right now. Thank you for sharing your words thank with you. us. Thank you for inviting me. Of mm -hmm. course, you're a part of the coven and you are 
you know, we stand on your shoulders because we're a little younger and um, we look up to you for sure for all that you, all the barriers you broke down, you know, as a Chicana artist, as a practitioner, as uh, all the things that you broke down because we understand that you pursued, you know, a career in mental health as a Chicana when it was still very taboo to even talk to a therapist, you know, and we just really look up to you for breaking down those barriers. Yes. Thank you. I'm there with you and I, I feel your presence too. And we'll have to get together soon. Thank you. Thank you. All of us Prayers. Blessings. Prayers. Have a good one. Bye. 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 Take care.